I'm Amy Shields. I'm Mark Frost. Hi, I'm Kimmy Robertson. So our Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the book, is currently out at bluerosemag.com. It is $19.99, so get your copy today as supplies are very limited and will be running out very soon. So if you haven't got your copy today, go to bluerosemag.com today. Thank you for your interest and for your enthusiasm and, and keeping Twin Peaks alive. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. Hi, Brian. Hey, Ben. We've got log lady time. to episode 11 with the log lady. Miscommunication sometimes leads to arguments, and arguments sometimes lead to fights. Anger is usually present in arguments and fights. Anger is an emotion, usually classified as a negative emotion. Negative emotions can cause severe problems in our environment and to the health of our body. Happiness, usually classified as a positive emotion, can bring good health to our body and spread positive vibrations into our environment. Sometimes when we are ill, we are not on our best behavior. By ill, I mean any of the following. Physically ill, emotionally ill, mentally ill, and or spiritually ill. Wow. Man, that was, that's a heavy hitter right there. Miscommunication sometimes leads to arguments. Arguments sometimes leads to fights. That's happened to everybody. Yes. Or through text message, through <laughs> social media, you send something, someone reads it the wrong way, or reads it with anger, and the other person wrote it with laughter. And there could be that miscommunication. Like, what did you mean by this? What do you mean I meant by that? Or, you know, who's on first? That There you go. That's the classic example. Yes. It's funny they were talking about happiness usually classified as a positive emotion. It's funny. I was thinking about what Albert and Cooper were talking about, the happy generation, which I that was a, it, that was when they were sitting around in the Great Northern. Uh, I think they were having breakfast. But that's not this episode. But no. it still makes me think of the happy generation. Yeah. But, yeah, so we have this whole... Maybe we'll go right to the end. And we're talking about illness. By ill, I mean any of the following. Physical ill, emotional ill, mental ill, and or spiritual ill. I mean, this still seems like we're talking about Leland here. There's still this, mm. that he's still mentally ill. And the episode starts off with him looking uh, at the wall, and it's really close up of the holes, and then he come, pans out, pans out, and then you realize it's Leland looking at that yeah. while uh, Harry is interrogating him. Wouldn't you almost say that Leland's all those? Yes. He's physically, he's spiritually broken. Oh, he's yeah. emotionally broken. Right. For different reasons. If we, I mean, if we yeah. believe that he's the father and he lost his daughter, he's broken. I mm -hmm. mean, he's broken on all, every level. But I love that opening where uh, you hear, Daddy, 
daddy. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. He's like, <laughs> I mean, the first time watching it, you would think that he's just, he's in pain and sorrow from losing his child. But in a way, now you can look at it and saying it's Laura Palmer haunting him for the act that he is he has he's, actually done. He yeah. actually murdered his daughter and yep. he's being haunted by his actions. Sometimes nature plays tricks on us, and we imagine we are something other than what we truly are. Is this a key to life in general, or the case of the two-headed schizophrenic? Both heads thought the other was following itself. Finally, when one head wasn't looking, the other shot the other right between the eyes and, of course, killed himself. That's a good one. Yeah. It's almost like the two versions of Leland we get. True. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we get the, it's like a psychopath. I mean, he's like, we got the friendly, crying, grieving Leland. We have seen this crack where we saw the evil Leland. Right. It's funny. I always assumed that the intros, the Logley intros were going to have something to do with the episode. He's on trial for killing... Uh, Jacques. Jacques. So, so in some ways, is he mentally is he mental too because of the grief of his daughter, and he he thought that Jacques was the killer. At least that's what we're led to believe. But what gives him the right to kill someone else? If you know someone's the killer, he kills him. He only killed Jacques because Jacques knows Leland <laughs> is the killer. Maybe. Maybe. It's quite possible. I mean, we, we we never got to talk about this when we were first looking at it, but right, Leland was there the night that Laura was in the cabin with Jacques and Leo. Yeah. He was the third man watching. Is it possible that Jacques did see it was Leland there? Yeah, but maybe that maybe he Leland's like, I don't want to have any chances. Right. Because you already have one guy who's like in this stupid state. You know, like he's he's he was in the he's in the coma. Leo, Leo. So, to get rid of the other witness, possible witness, yeah, why not? And oh yeah, we'll blame him, mm. and I'll, I'll kill him. So it's interesting. I mean, Leland has now killed, from what we know in the show, well, three people. He's going to kill Maddie later on. Yeah, but three people he's killed. That's. That's three people too many. So <laughs> one too many. One too many. Is Harold crazy, or is he's mentally ill? Is he mentally ill? Is he just a shut-in that he just he's awkward and doesn't know how to uh, interact with people? Yeah, I mean, I don't say like I'm not trying to say shut-in. Like a shut-in does have a mental a mental pro uh, something mentally wrong. But I mean, not in a, a negative way. I'm not saying a negative way, but yeah, it, it has. A, there is a mental illness connotation to it, right? There's something wrong with him that's not allowing him to go outside, and it's all it could be in his head. It's all mm. in his head. It's all mental, right? Because right. it's not like he's a, like a vampire. It's not like he's gonna melt if yeah. he walks outside, you know? Right. It is strange. I always thought he was. I mean, I've said this before. I always thought he was connected somehow to the lodges. But it doesn't seem like he was. He just seems like... Yeah, isn't it a shame that he does... He kills himself, but I kind of feel like if he didn't kill himself, I really feel like he would have been a, a bigger player. Yeah. You know? Right, because I mean, in a way he had so much knowledge. I mean, he was he would create these his own diaries. He would interview people, and then... I mean, he was filled with books, and in some ways you think he probably had a lot of knowledge. He could be almost like a logly, like the male logly. Like, I bet he had a lot of knowledge right. about the town and the area, and it's kind of a... Right? I always feel like it's a missed opportunity that we could have gotten more from him. In a story standpoint, it's interesting that they killed him off, because I kind of felt like... It gave us a dead end with mm -hmm. his death. I mean, I guess the death led to Cooper getting the, the real diary, and that diary led to revealing more about the mystery. You're right, but, but I almost feel like he could have got the real diary without him dying. Sure. There could have been a... Oh, yeah. I mean, the sure, Donna, uh, Donna, James, and Maddie could have got the diary, diary out of it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and replaced it with a fake diary. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Another diary. Right. James, James James writes his own version of a diary. I'm going to leave this town. Uh, see you guys later. This diary. Broccoli. Is, I hate broccoli. broccoli. Yeah, I hate broccoli. I only have twelve dollars in my bank account. I I was singing just you today. <laughs> They're like, you're supposed to pretend you're Laura. Oh darn it! My mom doesn't love, love me. me. 
It's such a shame. They did. I like Harold's character. I, yeah, he was something. I was nice that they, they brought him back for Firewalk with me, so we got a little bit more of him from that. But Yeah. Sometimes we want to hide from ourselves. We do not want to be us. It is too difficult to be us. It is at these times that we turn to drugs or alcohol or behavior to help us forget that we are ourselves. This, of course, is only a temporary solution to a problem which is going to keep returning, and sometimes these temporary solutions are worse for us than the original problem. Yes, it is a dilemma. Is there an answer? Of course there is. As a wise person said with a smile, the answer is within the question. Oh, this is a good one. This this kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week. Laura, with the drugs and the sex, kind of taking her out of her uh, world into somewhere new. And she's escaping who she is to be someone else. Mm. With the curtain being, this is my escape, her escapism. Yeah. kind of feel like that. Could be talking about that. But I... You know, what else in this episode could she be uh, alluding to? I definitely think uh, Philip Gerard with uh, Without Chemicals, he points. Now, here's this interesting thing. We've always talked about how, you know, is it the evil that men do? And we always we use the example of Leland and Bob. And here's the thing. is like, what if there is no spirit, Mike? What if we look at Philip Gerard as a person and stuff like that? Like... In in this uh, intro, she's talking about how we use drugs as a as a temporary solution to to problems we're having. You know, mm-hmm. so in a way, Mike uses uh, Philip Gerard uses chemicals to to stop Mike from appearing. And if we remember, Mike w- used to be a killing partner with Bob and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We look at it as a regular person that sometimes Mike or Philip Gerard maybe has gone through terrible things in his life, and he doesn't want to remember that, and he uses drugs to try and forget about mm, his past. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But it's interesting that, like, sooner or later the past is going to come up, and in this episode, they, they, they won't let him have his drugs, and the spirit Mike comes out and, and reveals more about yeah. the mythology, really. Yeah, yeah, he's like his split personality. Right. But he's been keeping it at bay with this, this drug, and... Um, yeah, the past is going to bite you in the ass eventually. Yeah. And it, it does. I feel like there's not been enough study on Mike. I mean, because we know, so we, we, I think a lot of us talk about Bob, but it's interesting That's to see, true. like, is Mike a good guy or bad guy? Is he somewhere in the middle? I see he got away from Bob and he's trying to do the right thing. That's a good point. There hasn't been much on, on Mike, really. It's his redemption. He wants to make good. All these things about doppelgangers, is Bob his evil doppelganger? Maybe. Because he cut the arm off, right? right? And he saw the face of God and he cut it right off. Yeah. And then we learn in Firewalk Me that that arm is the little man from another place. Yes. Yes. Lorna thought that Cooper was Mike. So it's interesting. Is there a parallel with Cooper trying to do the right thing and, and Phil Jarred Mike the spirit trying to do the right thing. Are they mm. are they one and the same? Yeah, and the, the miscommunication. Is is the is the evil is the evil Cooper Bob and the good Cooper a representation of Mike the spirit? I like that connection. Well now, it's time for Who's in Twin Peaks? <laughs> So, Brian, I think we're going to do a bunch of uh, characters. Yes. We got four, only because you said, hey, we should do Everett McGill, Big Ed. Big Ed. And, you know, what would go good with Big Ed? Uh, Nadine. Nadine and Norma. And Norma. And then Mike, I thought. And Mike. Yeah, why not? Because by the end of the series, Mike was with Nadine. Yeah. So, in season three, it's going to be 25 years later. I hope Big Ed is still with Norma. I didn't look at that. By the end, Nadine was like, where's my drape runners? And she was kind of like very upset. You do wonder, would Big Ed still feel guilty about everything he's put Nadine through? So Nadine is going to be in one episode, and they're saying Big Ed 18 episodes. Interesting. Interesting. 
Um, See, I hate, I hate, sometimes I hate knowing this minute because then you kind of start thinking, is like something going to happen to Nadine? Well, here's my thought. What if Nadine passes away or she ends up dying in the show? And that allows Big Ed to be with Norma. Yeah. Because that's what we want. But, you know, I mean, As I an audience the, where's, where's the drama in that, though? I mean, I think sometimes the conflict is you need to have somebody to keep them away and you want to have drama. Mike's going to be one episode. So says IMDb. So I think Mike and Nadine might have an affair together still. They might be still together somehow, some way. And they, they get in a car accident and they die. They're both in one episode. So I feel like, what if they die? I don't they... believe they're in one episode. But let's say, I like to but say, what, what maybe if they, they live die? happily ever after. It's like, we, we're happy. We, we get together and they ride off into the sunset and they leave Twin Peaks. Maybe. No, I don't like that either. I'd rather... I'd rather kill him off, but not by uh, not by like car accident, but by a murder, like by you know. Oh. Yes, we need to have some dead bodies in this show. So. Uh, so Norma's in one episode. It's interesting the three of them are in one, but Big Ed's in eighteen. Mm-hmm. Is what they're saying. That's what they're saying. So we well, have to go based I, on that, right? Don't listen to any of this. I don't believe it. This is all theory. Yes. Here's what I'd like to see, though. I believe you need to have a new, you know, you need to have some character that is like Cooper who <coughs> rides into Twin Peaks. So they, they, they haven't been here at all. They're, mm. So it's really the audience. Like, we're taking that trip with that new person into Twin Peaks. So whether it be TP. TP, I think. Or, yeah, whoever. But TP, first stop, get some gas. And who's going to be there? Big Ed. Big is gonna, Ed. Yeah, it's like, hey, you're not from around here. It's like, no. Uh, and, and she'll be like, can you rep- recommend a, a pl- good place to stay, a reasonably priced? I like priced? this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, she's like a. Or, like, or can, you add, no, can you recommend a place to eat? And she's and Big Ed will say, hey, the, the, the double eye diner is a good and place to eat. we're going to see Norma. Right. Yeah, I like that. I like and that. Th- so in some ways, maybe this new character that maybe it's an agent could actually run into characters because, hey, they got to go get gas. They got to go get some food, food. And they meet. Is Norma still running the diner or maybe Shelly running the diner? I think they're probably both still at the diner. Yeah? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think Norma, it, she owns it. It's right. hers. You know what, though? Twin Peaks did start off with... Someone's with someone else. Someone's with someone. Mm-hmm. Someone's with. The, so what if we go into this and Big Ed and Norma are still having an affair? Yes. Because they have 25 to. Twenty five years later. So Big Ed is still living with Nadine. Nadine's still obsessive, compulsive about things. He's still dealing with it, but he's still having a secret affair with Norma. And it would be interesting if Nadine is having a secret affair with Mike. Good work. Now, I think Mike mm. is going to be uh, uh, the gym coach. Yeah. You know, he's he's a gym be, teacher? He's a gym teacher, yes. He's yeah. Gym, gym, gym teacher slash uh, football coach. Or in Twin Peaks world, he could be a doctor, a uh, psychiatrist. <laughs> he could have done, like, he could have worked like a million jobs. Yes. Yeah. But I feel yeah. like it would be very fitting for him to go back at, you know, he played sports, him to go back as a, a teacher. Yeah, yeah. If we're going to, if if the high school is going to be relevant. Yeah, because some of these people could have kids. That are in yes. high school. Yes. Yeah. And I've heard things on Twitter that there's like the new kids, but some of these new kids are in their twenties and you know it's, or thirties. Yeah. Who knows? They're gonna be playing younger people, I'm sure, because they look young. That's the one thing that still bothers me about Twin Peaks. I never felt like they were high school students. Yeah. Because they weren't in school that much. Right. Donna and Audrey was. We saw them in in in, in James. In, in the first couple episodes, you saw them in the high school, but then, then after were, that. Right. They were hanging out at a bar. Yes. They had a bar brawl. Two high school students. I mean, Mike kidney shots Big Ed. I mean, (laughs) he just goes wailing at him. And you're just kind of like, these are high school kids? And granted, I guess they're all supposed to be like 18 or 19. Yeah, 18 is But to me, they never felt like high school kids. Right. I agree. Yeah. I always felt odd. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. But I mean, and now it, everybody will be older, so it won't matter anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that I most feel like is that Big Ed and Norma won't be together. The fans deserve to see them get together, but we should see it on, on camera. We should see that moment where they finally get it. But I mean, I know it's hard to believe that they have to wait 25 years for this. <laughs> Guest of the week is John Bernardi, someone who's been emailing us 
since the almost the very beginning and has become a, a fan of the show and we're a fan of his and we finally get to have him on the phone. How are you guys doing today? Good. Great. Yeah, I th- we, I think you're one of our biggest fans and biggest critics and we appreciate all the feedback <laughs> you've given us. Just appreciate what you guys do. Recently on Sparkwood in 21 podcast, they read some feedback. They had their own uh, secret history of Twin Peaks discussion about the book and they had some feedback from you near the end of the podcast. And mm-hmm. I thought we kind of just continue this. It's almost like a crossover. We're, it's not an official crossover, but it's like we're kind of continuing the discussion. You had like your own dossier in, in homage to Mark Frost's book. And I love the detail. And maybe we can – we're not going to probably get into all of it, but I'd love to get into a little bit of what you uh, sent to Em and Steve. Yeah, well, I <laughs> I just appreciate them reading anything of it because, like, I couldn't figure out. This book is so big and so many different things. I think I basically did three feedbacks all into one, and they read one of them. <laughs> I haven't heard it anywhere else yet, but there's a theory that I have for the time discrepancies that nobody else seems to be talking about yet, and I would mm. love to be able to just put that out there for people. It's, it's a section under earthquakes. Leaning into science for a moment, the BBC Science Hour played a segment within weeks of the secret history's release with geologist Ross Stein, who was explaining the system of fault lines that were creating a large number of earthquakes suddenly wreaking havoc across towns in Italy. In the specific situation Stein spoke of, he said the tectonic plate Italy called home was being compressed until about a million years ago. Now it's being stretched so its faults are trying to figure out how to do something different than it was born to do, and they're reorganizing. He said the lines were little broken shards of faults that haven't been organized by repeated earthquakes into a long, continuous, smooth fault. So that means if you jostle one fault line, you tend to move the others around it, and no one fault is able to rupture for a very long distance and produce a very large earthquake. So we get these little groups or families of moderate-sized events. Reread everything Stein just said, but instead of fault line, substitute with the name of someone who's had an interaction with a lodge like Parsons or even Briggs or Cooper. And every time you hear earthquake, substitute with timequake. So every time one of us meets a lodge denizen or we reach into one another's worlds, our realities scrape against each other at a proverbial fault line and it becomes charged. Uh, Enough meetings like that and the line between our realities will slip and a reality quake shakes up time. I'd have to say the original name shock in Twin Peaks and the reason I'm so keen on this earthquake metaphor in the first place occurred when volcanic activity, you know, fire-based volcanic activity, in the Twin Peaks area formed Blue Pine and Whitetail Mountains. German Radio's Mark Givens is fond of mentioning the Michener-style book Frost wanted to write as early as 1990 that would begin with the formation of the mountains and focus on the weird electrical energy that settled between them. So I feel good saying this was on Frost's mind the entire time he was writing Secret History. A lot to unpack. Holy smokes. (laughs) Your argument is that we're not saying this is an alternate reality and this is not like we're not going with the idea that it's um, a fake dossier. I don't think any of that could happen because if it was one – I mean if it was an alternate history, we'd have one dossier. Hmm. Or Or it would somehow be able to travel across like so many multiple timelines it would just get too confusing but i figure with the way if you look at it just like from a like a metaphysical geographic event i say later on it's kind of like you know if you skip a rock across a water and like you see a ripple form it's like the events that are most important are kind of at the top of those ripples as Mm. it fans out and all the other events like you know norma's mom things like that they get kind of pushed or rewritten, and, you know, it's like the the most important things are around the point of impact. So, like, wherever the character was at a main shock, such as, like, oh, I don't know, Laura Palmer's murder, all those facts around it are basically set in stone, mm. and you can kind of move things around however you feel like. Like, if you're, say, a writer who doesn't want to exclusively uh, adhere to canon, religiously (laughs) but you're the kind of person to meticulously go back and figure out exactly what kind of pieces are in this watch called twin peaks that you're working with i think frost is both like really fascinated by being able to rewrite things but also in a way that it's not gonna like counteract anything I, i think the way the earthquake metaphor can work 
it it allows like canon inconsistencies just to kind of sit next to each other like they do in the secret history dossier you know basically it, it, think of it like the star wars trilogies you know you've got the original one that uh, you guys and i grew up with mm-hmm. and then you've got the special editions but if you take their DVDs and put them right next to each other, you can fit them all into the same dossier. I think a great metaphor you made was the kind of like the solar system, right? That like they can all there could be planets and everybody can kind of hang out and be in the same gravity. But yeah, yeah, th- like each each individual product, you know, like uh, uh, Laura Palmer's diary could be like considered a planet on its own, and yeah. uh, TV Twin Peaks can, and mm-hmm. Secret History can, and Fire Walk With Me especially. Like that thing used to just boggle my mind so mm-hmm. much I wouldn't even know how to talk about it, so I just didn't. Everybody thought that I wasn't, you know, that, that I just hated Fire Walk With Me, but it's like what everybody's doing right now with Secret History, and mm-hmm. that it's just hard to rationalize it next to everything. There is so many in consistencies in the book but it's also funny that sometimes mark frost would actually take different works and find a way to merge them together so it would work and i think about yeah. something like the long lady's husband we have in the tv show the long lady's husband mm-hmm. was a uh, lumberjack and in the secret diary of laura palmer he was a fireman and so in the secret history of twin peaks mark frost is able to say well he was both he was a lumberjack and part-time he did fireman stuff he knows what he's doing and he knows his content and like even you were saying he's a sports guy so he knows when there's he he would know the Twin Peaks uh, sports and like these inconsistencies he seems to be doing on purpose or yeah uh, sorry hope he's gotta be doing it on purpose he's way too smart for this kind of stuff and I mean he's been paying attention to the fans so much that he's been interviewed and wrapped in plastic a number of times I mean Mm. he, he he respects us so much that he he's giving us a puzzle box to play with that's like 50% 50% of his goal for this thing, you know? <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Yeah. So this earthquake thing, so what What would create this earthquake that time would almost be rewritten? Okay, Jack Parsons, for example, you know, it's like he, he does all that Thelma magic in the lodge where the lumber came from Twin Peaks area and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And, you know, it's like he, he's uh, he's trying to summon basically a force, which I'm assuming comes from the lodge. I mean, I know the lodges are barely talked about in this book at all, but Hmm. I think the whole book is like literally every single page is about our interaction, our world's interaction with the lodges world and like the the friction in between. So like you, you think of our world as one tectonic plate and you think of the lodge world as another tectonic plate. When Jack Parsons ripped between our worlds, that's one big, huge frictional plate slippage or whatever, whatever the actual term is. The repercussions happen from there, like Margaret and the, the two guys getting abducted as children. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's in the 1927 article that Andrew Packard wrote, and it's in the 1947 article that uh, Robert Jacoby wrote. But, you know, you, you figure the abduction is also an interaction with the lodges. So, like, that's kind of friction between our worlds when we interact with them. So it ends up becoming a foreshock and an aftershock of the Parsons event, which also happened in 47. Hmm. And Roswell Roswell ends up being an aftershock. I, I've got an idea that he unleashed Bob right then. I mean, not, not Roswell, Parsons. Hmm. So, I mean, all, all this stuff is obviously just mostly from inference. so i mean i i could be totally disproven and i totally expect it i mean the the way i think of this whole thing is i was solving for robert jacoby and i found number 14 in the answer book (laughs) you know like i i I think there's so many different ways that this can work and you know i'm i'm just throwing it out there just like anybody else but i i think the earthquake thing is a good metaphor that actually is true like if if you actually go into this feedback, it's it's an attachment at the uh, the secret history episode of uh, Sparkwood and Twenty One. It's their most recent one. You go into their info and like they've got a link right to this Dropbox, and uh, you you can get more information there. And you've got like twenty. <laughs> you've got like twenty five pages, yep. which I love. Is that yeah. so, so? I don't. We didn't even give any backstory, but you you actually snail mailed. You mailed 
this package to yeah. them. <laughs> wow. And then, and then, a real dossier. Yeah, a real dossier. And I, for some reason, it makes me think of Lost Highway. Like, Em <laughs> and St- Steve come home and there's a package. package. Yeah, it's yeah. like, what are you doing? And then I think Em takes all these all these paper papers and she scans each one and turns each one into a PDF mm-hmm. and makes it available yeah. to everybody on Dropbox. Wow, but that's wow. really cool. Yeah, and... Uh, yeah, Em was fantastic about this. You've referenced us a few times and there was a really... It's a really funny. It's a funny one where you have a picture of the mole, mm-hmm. and you're mentioning um, Brian and myself and Mark Gibbons. <laughs> yes, I saw this. <laughs> Leaving Barnes yeah. and Noble. Leaving, yes, we seem to be stalking uh, Mark Frost there. Yeah, Mark Frost is in yeah. the background. Yeah, I, yeah. The good. way I took the picture, the guy in the background was like extremely blurry. So yeah, I mean, I was just having fun with this whole thing. I mean, yeah, yeah it's like that's if, cool. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna give them and Steve, like, yeah, I mean, they they put in so much work on their mm-hmm. show yeah. and like their whole network. I mean, they, Twin Peaks isn't the only thing they cover. So I mean, I, I just wanted to give them something to laugh at. Yeah. Really? So I mean, I, I'm glad them decided to share it with everybody. Yeah, I mean, she obviously asked me first if yeah. it was okay, and I said yes, but. Yeah, I, I'm just glad that everybody gets a shot at looking at this thing because it, really it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So near the end of that time quake part, you mentioned about how Cooper and Laura kind of save each other, which is that something that Brian and I have been talking about for a while, that it almost is this full yeah. circle. Yeah, that, it's a full like, circle. Cooper yep. saves Laura and Laura is going to save Cooper. And I think that's that's really beautiful. And I, I do hope that, that it, yeah. it plays out that way. Yeah. I hope so, too. I mean, I, I don't know exactly how it's going to happen. And, I mean, I know I, I have a theory in there that, you know, Annie could... Oh, yeah, Annie. Uh, <laughs> because she's missing from the book, um, I kind of assume that, you know, like with the with the way time quakes work, you know, the, the people that have the launch interactions are able to be moved around in time a lot. Hmm. You know, because, like, if, if you look at it, you know, Norma doesn't actually shift around in, in time too much. You don't hear about, like, Ben Horn, anybody like that, being, like, moved about time too much. Maybe their events do, but, like, themselves, like, the, you know, they have a birth date, they have a death date, and they pretty hmm. much stick to it. But, you know, like, Briggs... No, you have, we have one uh, exception, right? Arson. We have. Do you want to get into Robert Jacoby? Robert Jacoby is, like, the... the massive exception like mm. you know like the, the people who've interacted with the lodge like you know even cooper all those guys you know they 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 kind of move around time a little bit but robert jacoby is like the the weirdest one because i mean he's just all over the place mm. uh you know he's got how many four like four death dates in there i think <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> yeah so I, I've got an idea, you know, since he wasn't in the main series, and the fact that they include Lawrence Jacoby's, you know, his time with the shamans, like going through that ritual. Mm. I think that was uh, Lawrence Jacoby's lodge interaction. And, like, yeah, he was actually talking to the, you know, the, the almost reptilian-minded uh, giants. Mm, yeah. yeah, so I, I think he was going, you know, guided by the shamans. They even give him something that probably tasted like scorched engine oil. <laughs> so I, I think he actually did go through a lodge trial. And because of Cooper's lodge trial, where, you know, he confronted his other with imperfect courage, I'm assuming that also happened to Lawrence Jacoby because, of course, Lawrence Jacoby is going to have imperfect courage because, mm. yeah, he's... He's a nut. I kind of think that his other is Robert Jacoby. That's so awesome. Robert Jacoby was born from the Lodge. Yeah. And the only reason why, you know, you don't have good Lawrence and bad Lawrence is because of those crazy glasses that, you know, <laughs> had, you had his little notation on, like, how they work right in there. It balances the person. So mm. instead of getting, you know, good Lawrence, bad Lawrence, you get Lawrence and Robert, you know, one just leans towards psychology, one leans towards journalism, but mm. they're both looking for the truth. Yeah, that's so cool. I do like the whole Lawrence Jacoby's <laughs> doppelganger. I think that's funny. And we see a picture of what's supposed to be uh, Robert Jacoby, but it's clearly the same yeah. actor. It's, this is good stuff. Yeah. And that, so, I mean, going back to some other things, you had like random pictures, like the pen you used to write this. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. But then you had one where it was like a, a bald owl. Which is that? That's authentic. That's like a real what an owl would look like if it had no feathers. Yeah, I think that. Oh it, yeah, that was just something I saw in, in uh, Twitter when I was writing up this thing, and I'm thinking, like, oh my god, that's spooky as hell. I'm gonna include that for sure. Yeah, because it really did kind of look like an alien, and, and they have the whole 3D yeah. alien, like if yes. you look, you know, yep. depending how you, if you yeah. look. But I, I thought it looked yeah. really something. I, I've never. Have you ever seen Brian an owl yeah, without yeah, feathers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah, it totally looks like an alien, except with the beak. 
<laughs> okay, so so Meriwether Lewis, there's two letters that go to Jefferson. The the same the same soldier sends it. The first one he sends is two years earlier than the second letter that he quote unquote sends. Yeah, you know, like one basically says Meriwether Lewis is like this well adjusted guy. Uh, he's on his way to Nashville, and I think that he was murdered. And then the second letter that shows up to Jefferson two years later comes from the same guy basically saying Meriwether Lewis is totally unhinged. Uh, mm. He tried to attempt suicide when he was here, and he did it twice before he even got here, and he's on his way to Nashville. So, like, there's two, years later. two different kinds. Yeah. yeah, two years later. So there's the time spread that could be uh, that, that could be explained by a uh, interaction with a lodge, which, you know, you, you look at the way... Meriwether Lewis was murdered in this book, you know, like with the the, the mound of dirt, uh, mm. you know, the wound the wound to the back of the head. I mean, it sounds an awful lot like how Laura died. Mm. You know, I mean, it, there there's definite uh, parallels oh, there yeah. on purpose. And I figure, okay, well, that's a lodge interaction. And, mm. you know, here's our first time discrepancy, except it's buried because... You know, the person who was writing it at the time probably wasn't thinking about time discrepancies at all. And, you know, they're basically just blaming it on the fact that it's a forgery. And the guy who sent it at the time was uh, in process of being court-martialed for treason. Hmm. So he's trying, to, he's trying to save his political skin. So that's why that letter was sent then. But I think it's a time discrepancy. It's funny. It makes me think about uh, Agent Jeffries there. Like, and I yeah, thought, yeah, I thought he oh, was yeah, gone for two years. Wasn't he gone for two? I thought he was missing for two years. Yeah, he's jumping all over the place. He was jumping. I mean, not only yeah. was he jumping all over the place, but he also there was this time where he's just gone and then yeah. he comes back. Except, like in this case, like the the only problem with my theory of it just being a time discrepancy is that there's two different kinds of Lewises. So I'm, I'm, you know, in, in my feedback dossier, whatever you want to call it, I, I posit that maybe there were two Lewises at the point of his death because, you know, like when he gets killed by, I'm, I'm just going to say Bob, even though it's Neely, mm. you know, at that point, instead of a split through universes, maybe it's a split of the person. You've got the good uh, Lewises outcome to his death. And then you've got this other version of Lewis, his, his other Mm. Or, you know, the bad Lewis, I don't even know how you want to describe it. But, you know, the unhinged one also dies in the same way. Something. You know, this makes me think of, so I've been talking to Brian about this. This is the new series of Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. And what is your feeling about this, John? Can there be yeah. Can there be two versions of Cooper out in the world? Or does does the bad Cooper, can the bad, bad Cooper has to be out and then the good Cooper has to be in the lodge? Like, can they both be out in the world at the same time, do you think? Well, based on my feedback, I would say they're both able to be out in the world at the same time, but right. I don't really know if that's going to be the case. Hmm. Like, it, it's really hard to know. Or is it like a time displacement thing? If we're going to stick with the Lewis thing for a minute, um, you know, it's like uh, Good Lewis had his time in, in chronologically, and it it ended when he died. And then Bad Lewis might have actually been out and about, like, you know, going through history mm. through his own thing, like in his own time frame. Or <laughs> if if you go with the idea that Lewis could split into at the point of his death, why mm. not Laura, too? Right. And hence we've got Annie being the possibility of her other. Yeah. Yeah. There's some slight differences between the audiobook and the actual hardcover book. And I've been yeah. I've been thinking about this since October and part of me has been thinking about this too is where both Brian and I went to that uh, October 20th event in New York with Mark Frost mm -hmm. and Mark Frost is saying, "Open up your books if you got them and listen to me read and then we're going to play some audio clips." And that made me and then I think that same week I hear the archivists talk about Chet Desmond. And he says Chet Desmond, and then he says again how he says Clark Desmond disappeared. Yeah, a couple sentences later. Yeah, and it's like, Clark Desmond? Are you talking about Lewis and Clark? But you're yep. like, And I know it's most likely a mistake, but it's still been driving me crazy. And you talk about that there's this, this secret history is a workbook of puzzles. And so I keep thinking, mm -hmm. is, is this a puzzle? Is these? And you, you, know, you found some other little audio differences between the audiobook and the hardcover. I listened to the audiobook twice before I even got the book officially. Wow. So, like, the one that really stood out to me, like, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, like, 
I hadn't even gotten to the point of Robert Jacoby's dates necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I, I thought, you know, it's like it, I, I kind of cocked my head a little bit, like, wait a minute. But, you know, I, I just let it slide. But the audiobook has on Josie's death certificate or the autopsy report, whatever it is, the book has Will Hayward written down on the bottom. But the audiobook says uh, Dr. Dan Hayward, which was, uh, I, I think he passed his torch to the to, to his son Will like thirty years earlier, or oh, something yeah. like that. Right? Yeah, I mean, like, How so you know, it's like suddenly Dan Hayward is back in circulation in right. like nineteen eighty nine, <laughs> and it's like, okay, all right, um, yeah, this is on purpose. I don't understand it, right? But obviously, something is on purpose here. And it's clear to me; it doesn't seem like James Morrison, who who read for the archivist, is doing this. Mm-hmm. This had to be either when, when putting the script together for the a- yeah. actor to read it. So I feel like this is Mark Frost, whether he accidentally was just thinking quickly and was typing it up, or but I don't know. It's I still it puzzles me, and I keep it's been bugging me for five months, and I'm still thinking about it. Saying is. Is this a mistake or is this done on purpose for some strange reason? I think the Clark thing was just a misread. And, yeah. you know, nobody, you know, it's like, well, hell, with everything else, we'll just leave it in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what I think happened there. But uh, the thing about Will and Dan Hayward, you know, that that is a curiosity to me. Like, is that on purpose or not? And how many other things? Because, like, they leave out a couple of the uh, footnotes from Tamara Preston. I can't remember. I, I had to take that out because I would have had a 60-page uh, feedback uh. <laughs> if, I, if I put in every single example. But, right. like, there, there was something where, like, she actually made kind of a, a point that should have been included as far as I'm concerned. You're going to be on uh, Bickering Peak soon, aren't you? At the end of the yeah. month or so, you're going to be... Yeah, yeah, the Diane Keaton episode. That's awesome. <laughs> of, all, of all episodes. Oh, man. Brian, you enjoyed it yeah, for I the did. first time. Yeah, you I did. Enjoyed it. I, I did. actually yeah. enjoyed it when I first saw it. I, I know there's a lot of criticism and a lot of fans don't like it, but it's it's. I fun. liked it. I, I thought she did a good job. She's got style. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I ended up liking it. Okay. Like in 2001, when I was uh, when I was trying to show uh, my roommate at the time Twin Peaks for the first time, like I, I thought it was kind of a nice breath of fresh air. And I, I we do kind of go into this, like you know, it's mm. kind of like a a shot of adrenaline in the arm of a show that had kind of gotten a little uh, sleepy or yeah, something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's true. Like it it was it was kind of getting into a rut, and, and I, I understand kind of what. Keaton was trying to do with it, but mm. I don't know. Like my my <laughs> only major beef with it is the fact that she ends up like destroying Wyndham Earl's uh, future. To be continued on Bickering Peaks. Yeah, cool. You're on tour. You're on the podcast tour. <laughs> yeah. This is great. I love it. Well, thank you, John, for your time. And uh, yeah, we we'd love to have you on again. Yeah. And I think you got a lot of interesting sure. things to think about. I mean, I, it's funny. It's been five months, but I'm still thinking a lot about it, and I'm still curious to know how this will connect to the new series. Yeah. We're yeah, so close. yeah. I I expect to be about a third right, but for all the wrong reasons. But I mean, it's an it's, it's an awesome thing you did. I'm like, oh my god! I yeah, mean, you put a lot of work in a lot of work into it. And the dossier, lunch break. Yeah. <laughs> and now, Lost in Twin Peaks with Joel Paco. character series on my blog, uh, which now is lostinmovies.com, period. That's it. Nice, Yay. easy address. I, I got it <laughs> reorganized, awesome. and I got nice red curtains on the sides of the screen I like for, it. for Twin Peaks, so everything's kind of streamlined and nice. made easier to use. So I started a series in January called the Twin Peaks Character Series, and essentially it's an entry on each character in the show and the film that is uh, speaks or makes a noise in, in some cases mm. uh, in at least three scenes. That was my criterion. Mm. Uh, and then for characters who didn't fit that but were interesting in one way or another, um, I did a couple entries beforehand, like preludes basically. One was just 
very quick little blurbs on all these minor characters, like the gym teacher that Laura's mom calls and, you know, mm. um, stuff like that. And then I did a top 30 countdown of the characters who, who weren't going to make individual entries, but were still really cool. So I had like the angels in there and um, the Hayward sisters, Gerstein and Harriet and all of that stuff. Nice. The way it's, it works is there's 82 individuals who each get their own entry. And I kind of start off description of, of, you know, what they do on the various days that they're in Twin Peaks, sort of like as if it was a literal historical event that happened, you know, on this <laughs> day they did that. Then I kind of branch off into analysis. So I show, you know, what impression do we get of Twin Peaks through this character, both mm. Twin Peaks the town and also Twin Peaks the show. So then I also talk about where, like, the, the character's journey goes. So, like, the kind of their arc. Where do they start off? Where do they end up? Sometimes the characters, they're just, you know, only in three or four scenes, and they don't have much one. Other times, you really see an evolution in that character and how they change mm. over the course of the, the show, even if they're only in it for a few minutes. And that's another interesting thing. I, I do have a section of each of these that's statistics, which is very short. It's like three or four lines. But uh, that was kind of fun to assemble, very sort of nerdy thing where, you know, now that I could never have done this before computers, but now, now that we have computers, you can tell pretty quickly, you know, you can look at the time code and stuff like that. Oh, how often is this character in it, roughly? You know, I'm not, wow. I'm not timing every cut when we cut away to a reaction shot or something, but like, well, how many scenes and things like that. And it's surprising how little a lot of the characters are really in it. Um, like, for example, one of the things I remember striking me when I was sort of doing all the preliminary work for this last year was Leland's, like, hardly in the first season. He's in the pilot, I think, quite a bit. Wow. But then there's, like, several episodes where if you combine it, he's in it for, like, two minutes of screen time for, like, wow. four or five episodes. The scenes make such an impression, Yeah. You know? I think of Leland throughout the whole first season. It's like, oh, he's crying all the time, he's dancing, yeah. and he's just a, yeah. he is such a big part. I think he's a big part of the show, and you never think that he's barely in it. Isn't that something? Yeah. Well, I mean, even to look at Cooper, if you add up everything he's in, I might be misquoting because I don't have it right in front of me. I think he's in about nine hours of the 30-hour show, which is a lot, but that's mm. still two-thirds of the show. Yeah. The main character is never on screen. And you go down from there, and you're lucky to find any character, you know, hardly any characters are in it for more than maybe a couple hours at most. And most of them are in it for less than an hour if you add everything up all together. Mm. So it's kind of amazing to look at it from that perspective. So that, that part's fun. But then I also do um, the characters they interact with, episodes. It's all illustrated. So it's not just a bunch of, you know, blocks of text. You get to see the pictures of them from the show. They're all, you know, screen, screen captured images from, uh, you know, this is when they say their best line or this is their best scene or this is them in this episode and so forth. And I also have a bit on the actor which is always really fun. Um, you can find out so much really fast with the internet now. Mm. So I'm sort of researching each one and just finding all these amazing things. Like the people involved with Twin Peaks have the most amazing lives just across the board. Like you just, you go into these little tangents, you find these things out, and you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Because wow. we're looking at this tiny little slice of their lives. But some of these people never even watched Twin Peaks. <laughs> you know, like... The very first person I started out with who had the least screen time but had enough to kind of get her own entry was uh, Julie, the desk clerk in the first, uh, in the pilot who Audrey, you know, pokes the pencil in her coffee yeah. and spills it in there. <laughs> she yeah. probably loses her job after that because <laughs> 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 we never see her again. But she'd never seen Twin Peaks. Um, kind of watched it was like, oh, well, that was interesting. Not really my thing, you know, because uh, the interviewer asked her to watch. This was like in 2012. She's like, yeah, I've never seen it. He's like, oh, you got to we'll watch it. I'll send you a link or something. Kind of gave her impression, and that was that. But she's had this whole amazing life where she was a, a hippie traveling around in a van in the 60s and 70s, and she knew Allen Ginsberg. Huh. And then she quit acting because she was, like, trying out for, like, like a, I don't know, a laxative commercial or something. And she <laughs> said, you know, I, I didn't just become an actor to perpetuate capitalism. I'm going to leave. So she went off to Turkey, and now she lives there, and she's writing blog posts about Syrian refugees and stuff like that. Wow. So they, all these—that's just one person yeah. out of eighty-two that I'm covering. It's, it's just amazing. Like one more cool anecdote that I found out. You know, we all know David Lynch is a huge Wizard of Oz fan. Yes. Yeah. And specifically that he had Cheryl Lee playing Glinda the Good Witch in Wild, in, at, Heart. Uh, Wild at Heart. Right. So it turns out, just independently, kind of looking at you know the basic material that's out there, obituary, Wikipedia, IMDb, interviews, articles, stuff like that. 
I separately found out that two of the actors in Twin Peaks were introduced or basically started their screen careers because they were encouraged by Billy Burke, who is the actress who played Glenda in The Wizard of Oz. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So Jan Darcy, who played Sylvia Horn, uh, was a schoolgirl or something in the late 40s or 50s, and doing some sort of summer stock theater program and... Billy Burke was there and said, oh, you're great. I'm going to, you know, you should, you should uh, pursue this and kind of encourage her to go to Hollywood. And then on the other side, you know, a much older generation, uh, Hank Warden, who plays the room service waiter, he was a theater actor and a rodeo star in the 1920s and 30s. And Billy Burke um, met him, I think they were in a play together, or she saw him in a play or something. And she uh, she said, oh, you know, you should come out to Hollywood, introduce him to an executive, and get him out there. So that's two p- And this is, you know, the other funny thing about this is, in Wild at Heart, the good witch intervenes to kind of somebody's life straight. Mm. <laughs> exactly what happened to these two actors who never would have ended up in Lynch's orbit if not for, you know, the good witch of the North. Just amazing. That's something. Isn't that yeah, crazy? that's pretty yeah. cool. Out of the po- ones you've posted so far, do you have a favorite one? A favorite entry or... Yeah, I guess a favorite entry that you've done. I have a lot of fun with the invitation to love one because that's five different characters, but yeah. I combine them into one entry. That's probably my favorite one, but I also love... I'm probably the only <laughs> one that likes <laughs> invitation to love, but I, I was reading that post of yours and I loved it and you, you got all the facts and I love that. You, yeah, you, that was a really great post. So much fun to yeah. assemble, you know? I have such a good time with it. See, I love that you you had all the different characters watching it. You had screenshots of every character Ooh, watching yeah. Invitation to Love. That was that was a yeah. really nice touch. Nice touch. It's it's a really fun combination of sort of you know semi important sort of thematic analysis and just kind of pointless but really fun like sort of the geeky stuff. To a certain extent, that's there even in the videos I did where it's like part of it is this sort of really focused in depth hopefully, you know, exploration of what I think is important. And then part of it is just sort of geeking out on, like, what if we did, like, a supercut of all the times that this happens or something, mm. you know. But, but doing So I'm doing that with the post, too, just in, in sort of a photo form. But you're doing one every day. So, I mean, wow. that, that was a lot of work on your end to put all these together. Well, it's going to end. I, I timed it. I waited till they came out with the announcement. And if they had announced that it was coming out, I think May 1st or something, I would have had to start right that day because it was mm. a Monday. Um, but they didn't. It was May 21st, and I looked, and I was like, perfect, I've got a couple weeks. So I was able to set it up where I think on January 22nd or 23rd, whatever the Monday was, I started right on that Monday. It ends exactly on that that Friday. It goes for the full you know, week, every mm. week, because it's 82 entries plus an introduction plus the two preludes that I talked about. So it worked out perfectly. Like it's a nice, uh, not even number, but a, a you know multiple of five. So it just ended up perfectly that the entry for the top character, which no surprise is, you know, Dale Cooper, uh, is going to be on that Friday right before. So it leads right directly into the show. And I kind of made sure that happened once I found out the deadline. We look at all these different angles of Twin Peaks, but to actually spend time on just a character, that's a great uh, angle to look at. Oh, definitely. Kind of hierarchical because it's going from from least screen down to top. But in a way, it's the most democratic because you're actually – spending time with each character. And, you know, it's, it's interesting for me, just sort of the journey of Twin Peaks. You know, I watched it the first time and got into it. But then really this current era of, of Twin Peaks, um, you know, interest and obsession for me when it started, it was very much centered on Firewalk with me, Laura Palmer, sort of mm-hmm. getting into the mood of that story and seeing how that was the center of it. And then it kind of branched out to seeing, okay, well, how does, especially after the missing pieces came out, how does the show and the film link up into this sort of one big story with all these little facets, but they're all sort of part of this one big thing. And that mm. was really um, where the journey to Twin Peaks videos came from, was sort of that epiphany of how it all fits in and forms this sort of big thing. And then this is sort of my opportunity to go look at each little piece on its own. And it still adds up to a big thing because it's all one series, but it's sort of more splintered in a way. So mm. it's giving me a whole other vantage point where I'm just spending time looking at this one little corner of Twin Peaks with this little nook and cranny here and this one there. And, and, you know, you might not even know that other parts of it exist. I remember the first three or four that I went through were, just happened to be all great Northern characters. Mm. So I'm getting all these pictures, I'm writing about it, and it's like, you know, 
I've only been in the Great North. That's kind of such a cool way to enter the town because mm. you're like, you know, you come to the hotel and then you learn a little more. So even though you occasionally take sort of great leaps forward, like I know when I brought in Jeffries, it was like, okay, now we're, we've gone from, you know, there had been no characters up to that point who had dealt with anything supernatural because they're all really small parts. And then you get Jeffries, who's like zapping through space. Yeah. <laughs> so it is just a perfect progression from, you know, farthest outside to farthest inside. But for the most part, you kind of get that slow-burning approach, where as you read about the characters each week, um, you know, if you sort of keep with it and everything, mm. you're getting drawn closer and closer to sort of the action and more different places and seeing, you know. So, so I guess in a way, even though I'm saying it's sort of this more splintered approach, it's still the same sort of thing where it is adding up it's, it's pieces to a puzzle. That's how I put it. Every yeah. week, you're getting a different big saw piece, and you can just focus on that alone if you want to, but you can also put it together, and it forms this bigger picture. So it's a lot of fun to break it down in that way. Awesome. That's really cool. And and, and explain again, how did you go about ranking them? So how did uh, Philip Jeffries become number 73? So it's purely on the basis of screen time. Okay. And to a certain extent, that's estimated, because like I said, I'm not, you know, breaking mm. it down. Okay, we cut away to this person for a 10-second reaction shot. You know, I'm kind of, I'm not going that hardcore mm. with it. But you can time the scenes they're in and kind of see, you know, not with a stopwatch, you just look on the computer and they're in here, they're out there. You know, it's, it's pretty easy to do now. And so based on that, it's, it's purely based on the screen time that I estimated. Mm. Oh, um, nice. So the first character is in it for a little over a minute, and then the top one is in it for about nine hours. Neat. And, think... and the funny thing is, if you go below that, you still have 90 characters from that runner-up thing I did. Yeah. Um, and now, granted, some of them are in it for more than a minute, but they may not speak because mm. that was the, you know, but some of them were actually bigger than the characters I did entries on, but they, they didn't, if you're just in the background of a scene, you never say anything, I'm mm. not going to kind of count that the same way as much as, you know, much yeah. respect as I have for extras, it's, this could be a series that went on for years. <laughs> I did every, every single character who passes through Twin Peaks. Now, I don't know if I want to be you to spoil me, but I, be, I am curious to know who, I'll be curious to know who the top five are going to be. My guess, I mean, it's funny how you have, you have the Great Northern. I told you who number one was You told already. me number one. So that's everyone can kind of guess that. Yeah, cause... Great Northern is the bottom. My guess is going to be that maybe the share station will be the top yeah uh, hmm. that's an interesting point because i haven't actually measured screen time of location yeah that's a good yes i think yeah a lot of the top 10 15 20 characters are circulate around that probably more than than any other although there are a few great northern ones up there i mean ben's obviously high on the yeah. total mm-hmm. ball right um yeah it'll be interesting there's some surprises because i think people the way we think about the show Certain characters rise prominent, certain characters sort of sink down, but when you look at it strictly on who's on screen the most, it can be a little surprising. Like the log lady is certainly much slower in terms of screen time mm. than anyone would put her right. in terms of importance. You know, I think she right. might be below like Ernie Niles <laughs> like Evelyn March <laughs> or something. So yeah. yeah. Oh, that was a fun. I mean, actually, it wasn't that fun to do, but it was kind of funny to look at after I had finished it. Was the little Nikki one? I uh, think at the end no. of it, I said, "I can't believe I just did a whole blog post on little Nikki." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he was interesting because he actually, you know, I think people kind of make this like, "Oh, this kid just wanders into the show," and you know, they don't give him much to do. But it turns out he was like kind of a big child star. He was on something like 170 episodes of Dallas. He was actually like one of the main kid characters on that. Wow. Yeah, just looking up the actors, there's been almost no actors who have just been kind of like, oh, there's not much there. They got more in two films. Like, all of them have fun surprises. Dougie Milford was the voice of the villain in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, the Disney cartoon. (laughs) So so there's all, I always put a picture at the top of that section. Um, a lot of people in Star Trek makeup. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool. Well, this is great. I mean, yeah. it's great to be able to every day check this out and see what uh, new character is, you know, study is being it's done. It's really cool. It's like The Simpsons. Yeah. Like, The Simpsons have such so many characters, yeah. you know? like, And you, I'm looking at this going, wow. Twin Peaks has a lot of these these smaller characters, but they had a part in the show in some way. And yeah. it's kind of cool. Nice job, John. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really fun to dig in. So basically, the other thing 
as I go, that's what I'm doing every weekday, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. You know, um, hopefully I can get ahead again. So today doesn't happen again. But even today, I get it up in the afternoon. So, it, you know, it still gets there. Um, every weekday, that the Twin Peaks character series is counting down. But sometimes on Sunday, I'll put up um, maybe an update if I have some other things to announce. And most of all, I just say if people enjoy the work, it's not that I'm not giving them enough to keep up with already on a daily basis. But if they're looking for other stuff, check out um, the archives. Like I've tried to make my site really navigable for people who want to kind of dig into the to the backlog. Like I've got links just all up and down the sidebar and mm. right along the top top posts directories, so that you can just one or two clicks, you can find pretty much anything you want to find that I've written about. So I definitely encourage people if they enjoy my work, dig into the past. You know, it's been there for almost about, it's going to be nine years this summer. So, oh, and wow. over a thousand posts. So good for you. a lot of, a lot of material. Joel, where can people follow you? And, and, and maybe you want to plug your website again? And So it's lostinthemovies.com. I'm on YouTube and Vimeo is lost in the movies. And uh, on Twitter, at Lost in the Movies. And on Tumblr, I just said, now I've got the same platform name everywhere. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. Tumblr is Lost in the Movies with a dash between each word. So all of those. I mean, the place I post most is definitely Twitter. But it's a lot of political stuff, too. So be warned. If you're trying to escape politics... <laughs> not the place to go. Don't follow Joel. <laughs> Don't follow Go to the blog. There's, there's yes. less of that's more movies and TV. Well, yeah. thank you, Joel. I really, it's always good to talk with you. we got to talk more. We're getting closer to uh, doing Straight Story here. I think we're going to do that in May. Oh, yeah. That'd we, be fun. We're going to have you and John Thorne on Ooh. the show, and we will cover the Straight Story. Maybe I should say it on this on the show so people can tell me if they know of any viewing parties or bars that are doing Twin Peaks things. It looks like I'm probably going to be in New York the weekend that uh, Twin Peaks premieres. Because mm. I've got already just randomly two separate things kind of drawing me there, like a cousin graduating and then a friend who might be doing a um, like a documentary type interview in New York around that time. So it's looking like I might have a reason to be there. And I thought, oh, at first I was like, oh man, that's going <laughs> to distract me from Twin Peaks. <laughs> like, but, uh, actually, I think it could be really cool. That'd be Obviously, awesome, yeah. yeah. We'd love to hear if there's parties there. going on. Who knows? I mean, it's a big city. I would imagine some fans somewhere are, are trying to do something. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how that, uh, just how the whole event goes down, you know, how oh. people react. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's be something. Gonna be, uh, there's going to be a before and an after moment. Like, that's <laughs> right now, talking about it, we can never go back to once it happens. That's right. This will be forever in the irretrievable past. <laughs> enjoy this while it lasts. I will. Uh, uh, well, thank <laughs> you, Joel. Thank you forever. I would like to know if Diane is going to make an appearance, and I think that she should. Thanks. Is Diane going to make an appearance on the new Twin Peaks? A lot of theory was that um, Laura Dern could be Diane. Yes, that's a theory. And I like that to just be a theory. I don't want that to be true. I'm on the fence of I don't want to see Diane. I'm on the fence. I actually, more recently, I want her to be. And here's, I, I want her to be if it's somebody who has great chemistry with Kyle McLaughlin. Like I feel like it need somebody like Laura Dern would be perfect because yeah. they have a long history and they they play off each other wonderfully. At least in Blue Velvet, I thought they they yeah. connected really well. But it needs to be somebody who's playful and knows how to work with each other. If they can pull that off, if they can have chemistry, I think it'd be awesome. I think it'd be cool twenty five years later to have finally see Diane and see how they work together. I for me want to keep the mystery alive. Maybe we get a a Wilson home improvement sort of thing where you just see the top of her or the back oh, of her head yeah. or a side or an arm. But my hearts of hearts, I want to believe Di Diane is just something that keeps Cooper going hmm. and may not exist. Interesting. And, you know, you, you mentioned uh, – not seeing Diane, but, but like you know, behind a fence or something. But that's that's what David Lynch did with the missing pieces. I yeah. mean, he had a he had a scene where Cooper was talking to Diane, but all you saw was Cooper in between the doorway and he exercising, was like, exercising, and flexing and, his muscles and trying to figure out what she changed about her room. 
and for me it didn't work and I don't know why that scene didn't work if he was just too goofy or that I really needed to ha- see that other person like I needed to see the interaction yeah you know there was no music and it hmm. was very flat and I, it, it felt out of place for such a serious movie Firewalk With Me is lacking a, the humor yeah it's a very dark movie that scene does feel out of place for a lot of reasons. So maybe we'll see Diane. I don't want to. You want to. And our listeners think I didn't you. want to either before, but I don't know. more uh. I think about it, it's like, why not? Like, why not? It's been 25 years. Why, why not? not? <laughs> and our listener here, thank you for calling in. You know, you you're, you want to see Diane. So, you know, this is very awesome that you, uh, you're, you're the first person. By the way, you're the first voice message we ever got. So. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So you can call us and leave us a message, and you might get uh, played on the show. Yes. So that is 866-8-UNWRAP. That's 866-886-9727. Very exciting. Yeah, call it, leave a message, and we listen to them all, and you might get on the show. Yeah, we'll play it on the show. If you have a question, we'll, we'll try to answer it. If it's just a comment... Hey, I'm listening. I love the show. Anything, just, just, just do it. Right. We just pick hear up voices. the phone. Pick up, pick up your cell phone. Get, you know, ten seconds. Say hi. Yeah. And, and then who knows if this catches on, we might go to fax machines. <laughs> <laughs> fax is that. Anyway, Ben, it's been a show. It's been a show. It's been an amazing show as yes. always. And, and we'll be back again next week. I couldn't tell you what next week's going to be about because it's going to be a mystery. Yes. But when it happens, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. So thank you. We'll see you guys next week.